So I want to ask you this. Do you need God with you today? One for your brokenness and your sinfulness and then also in addition to your brokenness and your sinfulness in the midst of this weary and exhausting world, do you need God today? Because if you do, I invite you to come. To come and receive this gift he freely gives. This gift that says it's no longer what he did back then, but what he's still doing today by his death, his body, his blood poured out for you and for me. Justice has come. And you and I are no longer sinful and caught up in all of our woes, but we're called righteous because of him. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before he'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Today as we continue the series, A Weary World Rejoices, I want to look at a text that you maybe have never thought about before for Christmas. Anybody of you a big fan of the Old Testament prophets? Like you wake up in the morning and you can't wait to read them and you completely understand everything they're saying right off the bat? Okay, good. I don't either. Uh, in fact, it takes a lot sometimes to try to study and understand like what are they saying in this Old Testament prophet? In fact, what is a prophet? Oftentimes when we think of a prophet, we think of somebody telling the future. And it seems almost mystical and magical. Let me tell you what your future holds. But prophecy in the Old Testament is so much more than just, here's what the future holds. Prophecy is written for the purpose of declaring to the people of God, this is what God says. And not only is it what God says about the things that will be, it's what God says about the things that are right now just the way they are. Sometimes it's good and sometimes it's less than good. And sometimes the future warnings of things to come are really good and sometimes they seem on the surface level really bad, like dangerous and deadly. In fact, the prophet we're gonna look at today, his name is Jeremiah. And if you haven't spent much time in Jeremiah, he's known as the weeping prophet. You see, Jeremiah, the message he has to share with the people is one that often comes across really harshly. And he's known as the weeping prophet because he's often filled with great sadness and anguish over what's coming for the people. Not because of the things that are coming in a distant world, but because of how broken and disconnected they are right now. At the time in which he's speaking, at the time in which he's writing, in that moment, the people he's called to speak to are hurting, and many of whom don't even realize it. 
So we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 23 today. If you would like to follow along, feel free to use a physical Bible. Feel free to use your phone. Those are welcome in this place. Uh, If you'd like to find this text, you can find it on thepointknox.com under church online or church resources. I forget which it is, but it should be pretty noticeable. Jeremiah, the couple chapters before this, he's speaking to the people of God and he's warning them because of their sinfulness. His ministry, all of the work that he did, took place under the final five kings of the people of Judah, the southern tribe of Israel. Now, if you know the story or the history of the Old Testament, here's what happened. God promised the people that he would give them a land, and if they would live in the land and honor him and follow his commandments, and if they would live in the land according to the ways that he had planned for them, it would go well with them. And God gives these promises, and the people go into the land, and they immediately begin to do everything but honor God. They immediately begin to say, God, your plan is good, but we know a little bit better. You have good ideas, but I think our idea makes more sense. And you get the book of Judges and the Kings and Samuel and Chronicles, these books detailing this history of a people who continue to fall further and further and further away from God, disconnected from the beautiful promises of love and grace and forgiveness that he had for them. Well, because of this disconnect along the way, they fight. Have you ever been a part of the people of God who seem to not ever like each other? And they hate each other and they don't know how to love one another. And these people begin to separate and go their different ways. And there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. What was supposed to be unified is now broken. And the northern kingdom being much more open in their disobedience and their rejection of God receives his punishment sooner. His wrath comes upon them and they get exiled. But the southern kingdom has a handful of leaders who just keep coming back to God just at the right time. Right before his judgment comes, they come back, God, we repent. And Jeremiah, he begins his ministry underneath one of these kings, the last righteous king of the southern kingdom of Israel, a man named Josiah. He discovers God's word and he realizes we have sinned against you and he calls the people to repent and to turn from their wicked ways and to turn back to God. And they do until he dies and his sons take leadership and his sons are more wicked and evil than he was than any before him, and they just keep getting worse. And so Jeremiah's entire ministry is under the last good king and four really bad kings. And in the chapters, a couple of chapters before this, 21 and 22, he writes to the sons of Josiah and he actually calls three of them out by name. And he warns them, because you are leading the people astray, because you're creating division and wickedness and idolatry, because you're not honoring the Lord, it's not going to go well with you. And bad things are coming. That leads us into chapter 23. Verse one where he says this, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Jeremiah, he continues, he says, woe to those who are leading these people of God and leading them astray. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. You see, the people of God were given a king per their request. They desired a leader, and God warned them, these kings of yours will lead you astray. But they said, we want one anyway. We want to be just like all the other nations, all the other people of this world. We want to fit in and blend in and get what they have and be like they are. We want it all, God. And these kings lead them astray. There's a warning here. You see, earlier, one of the kings, a guy named David, asked God, God, I want to build for you a house, a place so magnificent the whole world will know how good you are. God says, this is not for you to do. Instead, I'm going to build for you a house, and your descendants will sit on the throne forever. But now we get to Jeremiah, and because they've fallen so far away, The very promise of God is at risk. The very promise that a descendant of David will sit enthroned is at risk because here we are with the kings, the shepherds, the people leading God's people, all having fallen astray. And God warns them, you have scattered my flock. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. There's this warning that they may lose the very promise God gave to them. But then we get into this next verse, verse five. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, I didn't know this initially before I started to study. Something I really find fascinating about the Bible is the more you learn, the more you discover you don't really know. At least that's my situation. Uh, This idea that his name will be the Lord is our righteousness There's a little play on words that happens here in Hebrew. See, the last king, the most unrighteous, the most wicked one, the king that is king on the throne as Jeremiah's writing is Zedekiah, which means the Lord is my righteousness. Here's this evil man doing everything ungodly in the wrong way who claims in his name that God is for him. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter how far he goes. God is for him and him alone. Whatever he says is good and what God wants because God is for him. And now in this little play on words, Jeremiah says, there's a king who's coming whose name will not be the Lord is my righteousness, but the Lord is our righteousness. 
There's a king who's coming whose name will not be that it's all about you or all about me, but rather all about us, together, as a people under him. The Lord is our righteousness. In his days as king, he shall reign and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In the midst of this warning that God is coming to destroy the people, that they're going to be exiled and taken away into slavery, and that pain and destruction is coming. In the midst of this warning, Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming when God will raise up a king who will deal justly. He will raise up a king with righteousness. Righteousness is a big fancy church word. I'll make it really simple. One who is right with God. One who does right in the eyes of God. One who lives in such a way that there is no fault in them. This is the king that is coming. Jeremiah, he's given this message to proclaim, because of your sinfulness, bad things are coming. But God... He will raise up a new king, unlike any of these other kings. A king who will bring justice and make people right with God. This continues in verse 7. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt... As the Lord lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, then they shall dwell in their own land. There's a little bit of poetry here for you. See, he writes, there's coming a day when we will no longer say, just as God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. You and I are not Jewish people, probably. Maybe you are. I, I don't know. I'm not Jewish. And so what does this mean that there's coming a day when it's not about Exodus? You see, for the Jewish people, there's one thing that happened in history that changed all of their history. One moment in time that cemented everything from that point forward was different. And that moment was called the Exodus or the exit, where they left Egypt, where they had been enslaved for nearly 400 years. And God miraculously delivered them out of this king, this leader who was evil, and into freedom. And on that night when he delivered them, he gave them this meal, perhaps you're familiar with it, a meal called Passover. What he told them to do to mark those who were believing in God, who were trusting in his goodness and believing in his promises, to mark them as separate and redeemed, he told them to sacrifice a lamb and to spread the blood of the lamb on their doorposts and the angel of death would pass over them and they would be saved. And from that day forward for all of Jewish history to this day, that moment the Passover, the exodus where they were freed from their sin and their bondage and their slavery and set free to be the people of God they were made to be. From that day forward, the single most important thing to the Jewish people 
It's the Passover. Remembering the salvation God delivered in that time of need. Jeremiah, he gives this promise. Behold, the days are coming when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Jeremiah is speaking to these Jewish people, declaring to them that there will come a day when the Passover is no longer the central moment in their history. When the exodus is no longer the single greatest thing they've ever had happen to them. Something greater is coming. When this king comes who will execute justice and will be our righteousness, when this king comes, all the people who are brought out of all the countries into God's promises, all the people scattered everywhere, broken and in despair, all the weary world will rejoice because something new is here. Later on in the Gospels, the New Testament, Gospel means good news. And these eyewitness accounts of this man named Jesus, the good news of the hope that we have in him, the peace that comes in him, the joy we find in him, this good news is shared in the beginning of the New Testament. And in each of these accounts, they describe Jesus as the one who comes in the line of David. As the one who comes as this righteousness for us. As the one who shall execute justice. And yet there's a moment in one of these, actually it happens in multiple of these gospels, but a moment that is worth us noting today. It's the very night when Jesus himself dies. See, the night as he's preparing to die, he's gathered with these people to celebrate the Passover, to remember the salvation that God has brought and the thing that he did do and the promises of what he still will do in the future. And as they're gathered there there to celebrate this meal, this meal they've been celebrating at this point for a couple thousand years, this meal that is central to their history, the pivotal moment in everything they believe and they know, Jesus takes that meal and he breaks bread and he gives it to them. He says, behold, this is my body. In the same way, he takes the cup, which they would normally set aside for the judgment of God. He takes this cup and he says, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all your sins. And the disciples kind of look around at each other confused. What is he talking about? Like we know this meal is remembering the thing God has done. What is he saying? This is today something new, something different. And that very night, he is betrayed and he suffers and he dies. And this promise in Jeremiah that the king who's coming shall execute justice, we find oddly fulfilled when that king who comes is unjustly executed. And this king who will be our righteousness and will make us right with God, we find there that night in the New Testament is one who's forsaken by God that we can be brought near. And something remarkable happens. 
See, the rest of the New Testament after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church continues to celebrate that Passover meal, but it's entirely different now. They celebrate that meal not in the sense they used to with all their customs and traditions and days worth of celebration and sacrifice of a lamb upon an altar. No, they celebrate by eating and drinking and taking his body and his blood. And what we see in the rest of the New Testament is the church, when they gather to celebrate the salvation he's brought, gather around a table and they eat and they drink and they're filled with joy. Joy that tells them no matter how bad it gets, something new has come. No matter how far we feel from God, someone new has brought us near no matter what may happen next. And for many of the disciples, what happens next is really terrible. Because for many of the early church, what happens next is they're persecuted and they're tortured and they're killed simply because they believe this king Jeremiah promised has come. And we meet him at a table, not in a great palace, not enthroned on our praises. We meet him in really ordinary, quite frankly, really boring means, in bread and in wine. And yet, for you and I, this king is still coming. There's a promise in the book of Corinthians that says every time we eat and we drink this meal, we proclaim his death until he comes. Every time we eat and we drink this ordinary meal that is somehow no longer ordinary, but the very presence of God with us. Every time we eat and drink this, we declare to this world, this king who is our righteousness, he's come. And we declare his death so that in the face of death and sorrow and sickness and pain, we know the God who's conquered the grave. At the same time, in the face of everything going well, when life is wonderful and perfect, we know the God who'd give it all up for us. And so the church would gather around this meal, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they would celebrate with joy. Joy that says wherever we've been is not where we're going. Wherever we are right now is not what God will have for us. No, we have a God who would come unlike all the unrighteous kings who were selfish and self-centered. We have a God who would come selfless, who would lay his life down to give everything for us. And in that we rejoice. This promise of Jeremiah the days are coming when we no longer look back on the exodus. Those days have come. And we don't look to what God did thousands of years ago in the exodus to a people we're not a part of. Now we look to what he's done that has brought people from every nation and every tribe and every tongue together in one place around an altar. An altar where we don't bring our best to sacrifice but where he's brought his best, a sacrifice for you and for me. Here in a moment, we're going to receive communion. 
If you've never received communion before, I got a couple things I want to ask of you before you do. You see, this meal is something extraordinary. And the church was really concerned, let's not take this meal lightly. Let's not treat it as something flippant we just pass over. But let's recognize that here in this space, God is with us. So I want to ask you this. Do you need God with you today? One, for your brokenness and your sinfulness, and then also in addition to your brokenness and your sinfulness, in the midst of this weary and exhausting world, do you need God today? Because if you do, I invite you to come. To come and receive this gift he freely gives. This gift that says it's no longer what he did back then, but what he's still doing today by his death, his body, his blood poured out for you and for me. Justice has come. And you and I are no longer sinful and caught up in all of our woes. But we're called righteous because of him. Amen. Over the last several weeks, I have been sharing, whew, that suddenly got loud. I have been sharing with you something called Cultivate Community. See, we have a vision for 2021 as a church. We're in this place and through this place as a people, we will be fostering friendships. We will be sustaining our future by doing some new and cool things that will help us not just pay for this place, but serve our city in brand new ways. And one thing I'm really excited about that has been super hard to keep under wraps, uh, I think it'd be best if I'm not the one to tell you about it. So I'd like to inv invite Gab and Kate up here. They've been working super hard for the last like three months, mostly covertly, and I can't wait to share with you all the exciting things they've been doing. So as they're coming up here, give them a round of applause. If you don't know, this is Gab and this is Kate. Hi, hello. Testing? Oh, great. Cool. Uh, Gab, how long have you been here at the point? Um, so my family attended Grace Lutheran, which was the plant church, and I think we were at the very first service, so 10 years. So she's been here forever, which is awesome. <laughs> and Kate, you have been here and a part of this church for how long? Uh, a handful of times. Uh, <laughs> Kate's in the joyous place of having a talent that we recruited and said, Great, thank you. Let's put you to work. So she actually attends elsewhere regularly, but has been joyfully giving for the last couple of months to help make something happen here. So what is it? What have you guys been working on? Well, we have been renovating a few of our upstairs rooms, uh, painting, laying new flooring, um, with the intention and hope that we can open up a new artist studio. Um, so we'll be renting those rooms to people in our community, artists that we know, um, to, yeah, to generate rent for the church and to serve the artists of Knoxville. Yes. So you guys have been working on creating the space called what? What have you called it? We've, we've titled it West Fifth Studios. Really artistic, right? And <laughs> we're located on West Fifth Avenue, so it makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, and you guys have some spaces that are ready to go that artists could move into almost right now, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. January 1st is our, our launch date, but... Yeah, they're ready. Yeah. <laughs> now, what are you guys most excited for about having these spaces? 
Well, I can start. I mean, we're both pretty thrilled. One, so we're both artists working in Knoxville, and um, you can come up and see the space afterwards, but the space is gorgeous, and so I think we're both excited just to be working out of there. And then on top of that, um, just bringing artists in uh, to have a space to work, I think, I mean, it's been a hard year, and I, I think being an artist in this city and this year has uh, been especially difficult, and um, I think we're excited to bring artists in and um, kind of form an active artist community. And uh, I think you guys know as a local church the you know, great benefit of having community and the encouragement that brings. So yeah, fostering that active artist community is definitely, I think, what I'm excited about. And you guys have shared some really cool ideas about how this studio can be more than just a space for them to produce art but you can do things in and for the community as well. What are some of the things you think that we as a church can be doing because of West Fifth? Yeah, so we are conveniently located in the heart of the Knoxville Art District. Um, and the city puts on this citywide event called First Fridays where they open up all of their galleries and um, kind of have uh, show openings to like really display the new arts. So that happens every First Friday. So. That I think is just like a core event where if we could open up this space just to have people walking in, um, it's the location couldn't be more perfect. And I think, you know, we just um, being a part of this church that's already so welcoming to that community, I think will be a, a really great draw for everyone. It's awesome. Now, they have been, like I said, for the last several months, pouring their heart into this space, first coming up with the idea and how to make it work and what's going to be really good, and then doing a lot of long days of painting and cleaning and redoing some floors. Do you guys have any moments that you've seen God so far already in the preparation process kind of show up? Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, in the very very tangible ways of uh, people giving us their nights and weekends to help us renovate. Um, we were donated some very nice flooring for free. Uh, and so just these very tangible ways that God has provided. And on top of that, everyone we've talked to has been so enthusiastic. And so I think just this building momentum is like just, you know, feeling God's pleasure over it and excitement for it. That's cool. I had the opportunity to share this vision of theirs with somebody else who um, hasn't been connected to the church for a couple of years. And I was walking through and showing what would be in the future. And he's like, this is so cool. What if we did this and this? And he had all these ideas and he kept saying, what if we did this? And I was really excited for that because he's not yet a part of any church any longer. He used to be and has left the church a while back. And, and just this passion, this idea that we can use this space to welcome the community and not to come in on a Sunday where it's maybe uncomfortable if you're not used to the church, but on a first Friday or to use that courtyard for art shows or maybe have some open markets in the space beyond that. Uh, so I'm really excited. You guys have been doing a bunch of work to make this happen. What kind of work or help can you have from the church? Um, I think right now we're just, uh, we're so enthusiastic, we're so excited. The more you can spread the word about the space, um, right now it's just all, all we're looking for. Um, we'll bring up some tours uh, later so you can kind of see what's been going on and stay tuned because we'll, I'm sure we'll need lots of volunteer power for working those shows and doing those markets. Um, but yeah, right now we're just getting the word out. What's really, really neat to me that you guys have done so far, 
So, so far, this space is costing us very little to get ready, and there's a lot of extra space. If you haven't seen some of the extra space, please stick around after the service and go on a tour with them, because there's a ton of extra space that later we could make it something bigger. Once this is renovated and once people are renting it and using it, there's room to grow. You guys have shared with me the idea of getting a kiln for pottery and some other things that we can do down the future, down the line, to expand not only what community we offer, but... Um, how this space can be used on a regular basis to help build that community. Uh, And that has me really excited. I've shared over the last several weeks that our Cultivate Community goal is to raise $30,000 above and beyond our normal giving between now and the end of December. And all of this will be used for things like creating some of that extra space, getting some bathrooms working for the art studio, um, furnishing, a few of these other things we've talked about to help us Uh, Not only with West 5th, but with a whole host of other opportunities to make a difference and to build community. So if that's something you are excited about, you want to learn more, these two ladies, I'll I'll just tell you, they'll be right over here after the service. They will stick around. They'll take you on a tour and show you the space. They'll show you the space, what it could be in the future, the extra space, um, and answer any questions you have or take, put them on the spot, by the way, (laughs) or take any kind of suggestions. What if we tried this? to make this something that blesses the community more. Um, If you feel so inclined to help us reach that goal, you can do so with the popcorn buckets with cash or check in the back or by giving online at thepointknox.com. However you choose to give and whatever you choose to give, know this. We don't give to get his love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. I'll take that mic. All right, so we um, are generally do our question and answer time right now. We also want to be respectful of your time, and it is we have a lot of questions. Oh, no. And not a lot of time. So what I'm going to say right now is follow The Point Knox on Facebook. We will uh, put out a video later this week um, with the answers to the rest of these questions. So thank you for texting them in. We encourage you to continue texting them in. I do have one right now if you'd like to answer one. Real quick, somebody texted one in earlier in the week. I'm not going to answer it. It'll be on the video this week. But it was a doozy. Uh, They asked this question. I was like, I'm glad I didn't see this on Sunday because I was totally stumped. So thank you. Um, But yeah, The Point Knox on Facebook. Follow us. We'll 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 at least address all of your questions. We'll answer. I'm I'm putting myself in there too. I'll answer your question. Just kidding. You'll ask them and I'll be stumped. Um, (laughs) So this one for now. Is it New Testament biblical? For a preacher to forgive sins, as we did during the confession absolution deal, this sort of ritual uh, isn't practiced in other denominations I have attended. Yes, that's a great question, and the answer is yes. Um, I can show you several places in Scripture, particularly where Jesus himself speaks to his disciples, and he gives them authority. He says, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And for almost 2,000 years, the church has understood that to mean that the, the church has the authority to forgive sins. So is it the pastor, like I'm something special and unique? Only in the sense that you guys have called me to be the pastor to speak on behalf of the church do I have that authority any different than anybody else. So yeah, there's a few places I could show you in scripture, but yes, uh, I believe we do. Great. Well, then all the rest of your plethora of questions will stump me between now and Wednesday when I get a chance to respond. Uh, Before you go, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a good week.
Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.